which was a haunt of Oscar Wilde and his lover, uh, Bosie, Lord Alfred Douglas. And Where I used to buy my club down there when I first started it in Romilly Street, number 23. What was your club called? Uh, it's Functional Dandy. I used to do it with some guy back then. I did it alone. How long did it run for? About a year? Three years. Three years? Mm. That's a good run. Yeah, not bad. Also not in bad. Ke- also also in Kettner's, uh, according to our friend... Ah, oh, no, no. Anyway, according to him, Princess Diana was regularly found uh, naked on a bloody piano up there. Oh, yeah. In Kettner's. Pleasure-seeking. Um, then we went up to Vauxhall Tavern. Pardon me? She used to go to the Vauxhall Tavern with um, Kenny Everett and um, Freddie Mercury. And um, who was the what? Who was um, the Greek woman? Very, very glamorous woman who was on the Kenny Everett show. Cleo wow. Rockos. Cleo Rockos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I met her. I met her in um, in uh, Waitrose in uh, in uh, Canary Wharf. Oh well, I I met her as well at the Vauxhall Tavern. She was really charming. Was she nice to you? Well, she was promoting this vodka. She was like hawking this vodka. Oh right, okay. Did you get a kiss off Did of her, you? Simon? Uh, <laughs> no, no. She was just, yeah, she, yeah, she was just trying to flog this vodka, really. She was the only reason my dad allowed Kenny Everett on in the house, to be honest with you. <laughs> then we went up to old uh, Compton Street, named, ironically, after the Bishop of London, Henry Compton. You know, to see what Sodom and Gomorrah it turned into. That it was named after a, um, a bishop, the Bishop of London, Henry Compton. But why was it named after him? That's what I want to know. I mean, why? Oh, oh, we'll just name it, you know, out of the blue. Oh, we'll just name it after you. I mean, whose pocket was he filling to get a, you know, a street named after him? You know what I mean? That's interesting. But he's not, not, not covered in the book. Then he goes on about Wheeler's Restaurant, you know, Fish Restaurant, Bacon and Co. All in there. Um... And that's where the Duke of Edinburgh had his odd club for males that became yeah, known, yeah. Came known as the Thursday Club, Eustonoff. My dad hated Peter Eustonoff as well for some strange reason. Could never really work that one out. Um, mm. David Niven, James Robertson Justice, Larry Adler, inventor of the um, harmonica. Yeah. And guess what? Did the, he invent the harmonica? Yes. He invented it. Richard, come in here. I don't know. Is that what the book says? He had a he had the first hit tune at least with a with a harmonica. And then, oh right, yeah. And then That's the day inventing it. The day that Richard Torrey bought his harmonica was the same day that Larry Adler died. <laughs> it was almost as if Adler was saying Oh no! I just give up now. <laughs> I just completely give up. Don't you remember, Richard? We were going down to Hokum Bay, and you were like 
can't remember, no. Yeah, and it came on the radio. You were blasting away, dis, dis, uh, what do they call it, discordantly, on the uh, harmonica, and it came over the radio that Larry Adler had finally packed it in. <laughs> Pardon me, sorry. Um, Richard Wagner, that was very boring. Didn't have very much interest to say about that. And then we went up through... Wagner? I didn't know Wagner was in Soho. Yeah, didn't, you didn't know that? Yeah, Richard Wagner. He stayed at an, an, an he stayed at an unknown address on Old Compton Street with his wife in 1839, recovering from a bad sea journey that he later claimed had inspired him to compose the opera The Flying Dutchman. Um, he said that he didn't his English wasn't good enough to talk to people very well. And he had they had a dog called Robber that ran away. And it caused that that caused the caused him some distress, but the dog later returned, having and he quotes here wandered as far as Oxford Street in search of adventures. <clears throat> then we went up Fifth Street to Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club, which you know doesn't need much to say about it apart from uh, Tommy was first ever performed there. That was its first ever live performance by The Who, Tommy. And then um, Jimi Hendrix did his last ever last ever show there. Well, I'm, I'm critical over that entry because, again, um, it's a jazz club. So why is he only focusing on rock stars that have played there? And also, that was the second venue. The original venue was somewhere else in Soho. It was in Soho, but it was, it was very near. I'm, pre I'm pretty certain that that is... It's, it, it, it changed venue sometime. I, like I saw that. Nina Simone there in the ages, and that was the same venue in the ages. I think it changed in the sixties, or or even cause it started in the fifties. Well, um, Tommy was performed in nineteen sixty nine. And Hendrix's final performance was in 1970. So while you might you might be correct, you are probably correct in two of your things of why is he focusing on the rock and that that wasn't the original venue, but this was the venue where those two things happened. Mm. Um, and then Richards disappeared probably for for a pee or something. But now we get on to which was one of my I don't know if we're going to do it justice. Was my one of my favourite bits was the Bar Italia. You know. Well, John Logie Baird did the. Um, he had arrived in Soho after being evicted from his previous premises, having caused an explosion due to his experiments. Baird constructed the first television equipment, and his ex new experiments in Soho culminated in October 1925. Um, when he ran down a flight of stairs to grab an office boy, William Tainton, let's name him, uh, hauled him upstairs and put him in front of the transmitter, and it was the first ever television broadcast. Uh, Baird had to bribe the boy, two shillings and six D, and he became the first televised person in history. The experiment was interrupted by angry local prostitutes who banged on Baird's door to complain that his strange-looking equipment was being used, they thought, to spy on them. Um, and then 
Because I was thinking, oh, Simon's gone. That's okay. Uh, I was thinking that would make a great horror story. But then when we were with Bonnie, she said th that his experiments in television broadcast uh, came out of his experiments with trying to talk to the undead or uh, spirits on the other side. Do you remember that? Yeah, 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 I remember that. I had no idea. Yes. I haven't. I met some um, psychic many years ago, and they were—they're um, really—I mean, they're really fascinating couple, and they were—they were fascinated by um, analog radio equipment, which would include television and radio. It had to be sort of valve analog equipment because there was all the um, the the static noises on shortwave and the weird. Not, I mean, it was. Uh, they they said that you could. I don't know, going to another dimension or or. Anyway, I was, I was really fascinated because I've got this shit here as well, but um, as you know, but um, yeah, I was just really. I'm mean, so I didn't know about that thing about bed, but all his stuff was the mechanical. I think his television broadcasting and receiving equipment was all with some sort of weird drum that revolved it was, like it was quite it was quite basic i know the the actors had to wear like really stark like black and white makeup because the picture was so bad yeah about like 30 lines or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well they, they they still do that now ghost hunters they like just turn on and even with the modern equipment they just turn it on and then you get all the like with you earlier with the fan going all that extraneous noise they claim that they can pull out oh no they just said no, oh yes 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 if he doesn't care if he can just say it here it's saying fuck me up the arse satan you know kind of stuff. no but what they'd get like a tape recorder and put it on record and leave it in a house like an empty house overnight and then listen back to just like all these like kind of hisses and squeaks and stuff and they say that they can like they can hear like uh, ghostly voices in all that amongst all that kind of hissing which um so go on, go on daniel the, the 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 couple i met who were i mean they were very believable they were not um trying to um hoodwink me into believing something that i've I mean, I, I was a complete stranger to them as well, so a little bit reticent to tell me this, but they were talking about um, people's voices or broadcasts or, or, or um, they're sort of, I don't know, going around the ether that they could somehow access, but it's all there. You just need to harness it again. I don't know. I'm, I'm not explaining it very well. I'm not one of my most... No, I, I I think I get it, and Simon and I certainly know what you're talking about. These sorts of things. Maybe they were just fooling themselves, you know. I mean, or not fooling themselves, you know what I mean? But I mean, I don't tend to believe in these uh, psychics and that. Not what you know, cold reading and all of that, where you'd have these leading questions and all the rest of it, that sort of thing. Well, I had some. I I, I was watching this thing the other day, and people were saying that uh, water holds memories of conversations. And if you if you have like a sort of dripping tap in your bathroom or shower, it's like on like dripping. 
you can pick up like uh, like conversations that have been had in that room or like in in the past. Wow. That's verging on a genuinely schizophrenic. <laughs> Although Richard and I have a rule of no uh, flushing the toilet after midnight. Because, Why? Because the gurgling in the pipes does sound like it's saying nasty things. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Do you have that, Daniel, as well? Do you get that? Or you're just completely... No. I've got quite a few weird noises here, but touch wood, I've never been freaked out. Um, I mean, there's 72 flats here. I shouted one. I shouted really loudly at a fly once, and it, it just died. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing about that is you have to think about all the other times when you've shouted loudly at flies and they didn't die. See what I mean? Well, this is... The, I mean, bias. That, was, that was the one and only time I did it, and it, it, it worked. Come on, we all shout at flies all the time. No, I went right up to it, screamed, Aah! Sonic attack. Boats are, don't really care about him. Um, uh, John Snow, his residence, which was at number 53 Thrift Street, but we come back to him for more deets, more interesting deets. Then he talks about Hazlitt's. I didn't really care about Hazlitt's. You know, that was a bit boring. Uh, then we went to the private eye. I suppose it's an iconic... No, that was good. About the, when he died. Oh, ha oh yes. Oh, yes, you're right. Sorry, sorry. Well, Hazlitt's is... Um... Yeah, when he was, he was shoved under the carpet or something. Yeah, that's it. Uh, ha William Hazlitt, 1778 to 1830. Now, that's not very... That's a mere... Um, 30 plus 22 that's a mere 52 years of age he died the landlady, the landlady was going to sell um, let the room again yes he lived at number 6 uh, Frith Street he was widely regarded as England's greatest literary critic um, and it's now where he lived is now the site of Hazlitt's one of London's finest hotels um Blah blah blah. blah, blah. Uh, Hazlitt died there, and on his deathbed, his last words were, "Well, I've had a happy life." <laughs> uh, and then the moment his last death rattle went out, his landlady rolled him up in a carpet and put him put him behind the furniture in order to show his lodgings to new prospective clients on the very same fucking day. What did he say? He said, well, I've had a happy life. <laughs> Roll him up in the car. He like Mr. Grace from Grace Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody sounded like that back then. They were cultured people. You've all done really well. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, no, the they were all cultured back then. That's how cultured people spoke. Then there was Private Eye, you know, the iconic blue door, I suppose. Um, they have their pub lunch. They have their pub lunch, pub boozy pub lunches down at the Coach and Horses, and then Trident Studios. We went to, um, which is down St Anne's Court, number seventeen. I always wanted to find out where that was. It was always on my list, so I've now ticked that off. Which one? Because I, I really liked disco years ago. I still do. And a load of sort of the French disco stuff was recorded there. 
tons all the Alec Hossendino stuff and some of the Munich Machine stuff was recorded there. I mean, a lot of it was. See, he doesn't mention any of that. He's very Mojo magazine, you know, like, oh. You know, you know it's common denominator crap, you know, he's going for that sort of shit. Probably lived in East Dulwich and, you know. The boring old bastards. <laughs> big Jeremy Corbyn fan. Just a bit of a dick. So anyway, it was opened by Barry and John Sheffield. And now are they brothers or husband and wife? That's what I want to know. Um, Trident Students, opened by Barry and John Sheffield. It was most famously used by the Beatles to record Hey Jude on the 31st of July 1968. They also recorded a number of songs from the White Album uh, because of its... At the time, you know, uh, top of the range, eight-track recording equipment. Uh, I wish we could go back to fucking four-track, to be honest with you, myself. Um, uh, I've got. I love it. Well, in the world of the infinite, nothing fucking gets done. You know. Anyway, (laughs) just sprinkle some fucking fairy dust on it, eh, Richie? Isn't it? That's what they say, the trogs. What's it got to do with Hey Jude? Because I'm saying I wish we could go back to a four track. Oh. Whereas in this age... Was worst, I was just thinking of that film yesterday. It's the worst film I've... One of the worst films I've ever seen. Where they Which say... One? Where they... Ed Sheeran... Was it Ed Sheeran? No, come on. They, they decide to change the name to Hey Jude instead of Hey Jude. Is it by um, Danny Boyle, that film? No wonder oh, he died the, and he's um, not the allowing guy. him to... <laughs> oh, where the Indian guy comes back from the future. Yeah, and he uh, finds out all the songs uh, and it, they haven't actually ever happened. Yeah, parallel timeline without there any yeah. Beatles. That's so he gets, right, yeah. has to change the name to Hey Jude. So yeah. Hey Jude. I haven't, I haven't watched it. I, have. I wonder I don't want to Johnny watch Rotten it. is terrible. suing to not allow him to make a film of Who's suing? Who's suing? They're they're going to court, aren't they? Johnny, the the Steve Jones and the other Johnny Rotten against Johnny Rotten. Yeah, who doesn't want Danny Ball to make the documentary? Johnny Rotten is on the Steve Jones's side. No. Oh, you want them again? It looks really bad. I've seen the I've seen the pictures. It looks really terrible. Who do you think they'll get to play Sid, uh, Sydney? Dot Cotton. <laughs> uh, Ziggy Stardust was done there by Bowie. Hunky Dory, the Boomtown Rats, with their classic mm. "I Don't Like Mondays." Elton John. He did your song. Lou Reed did Transformer there, which was produced by Bowie, as you all know. Uh, Genesis did A Trick of the Tail, and Queen did Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, They later sold the studio. Current owners respect the bill, blah, blah, blah. You can visit. Um, Then we get into a load of Karl Marx stuff. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if I really want to go through all this Karl Marx stuff. It's not... 
It's boring. It's boring. He's a wanker. Huh? He's a wanker. Oh, you know, I mean, I've, I've told a few friends, just really touch on this quickly. I think this is important. Yeah. yeah. But he had servants and he gets, and I imagine she was very, very young, gets her pregnant and he gets rid of her and gets another one in. That girl would have gone on the streets. I was chatting to my, my friend Nicola about this. You know, a, a young servant girl, pregnant by her, in quotes, master. She would be, she would be the one benefiting from that penny going down the chute. I mean, that they really are absolutely despised and 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 demonised, and it would have been miserable for her and the kid. So fuck you, Karl Marx, and fuck you, communism. That's what I bloody say. And all those middle class bourgeois commies I know driving their flashy cars and living in four bedroom houses in gated communities. And not only that, one of the one of their children died, and it had to go into a, a pauper's grave without a fucking uh, box, because he wanted to have the servant. So the the, the the child had to be, you know, in a pauper's grave. So that was that was that a child that he that she had that was his? It's one of Marx's children. Okay. And then, as, and then, as soon as, uh, as soon as uh, Mrs. Marx came in, into, came into her inheritance, they were out of there like a shot up to somewhere nice and posh. Yeah. Um, so that's all about. Like I, said, like I said to you, the the last last boss I had was a communist, but with a lot of money, a lot and a very fancy background, and and relatives living in Knightsbridge. So, I rest my case. Isn't that isn't it good if they're rich and communists? I miss what you were saying earlier. Maybe I just I think it's just really hypocritical because they they bang on about every person I know who who's been a cop well with one exception actually, but most most people I've I've rubbed shoulders with who are co- who who claim to be communists or say they're communists live a very charmed, very comfortable life. So, like putting up the ladder. If I become up. communist, do you think that happened to me? Well, you are well, posh. I think communist that necessarily leads to getting a load of money. Is all these people have had money from you know their parents had money. They've they've always been really comfortably off. So, we are going to have to cut this. Let's not. It's going to have to be cut. <laughs> No, no, we won't cut it. We'll just bleep it. We'll just bleep <laughs> the name. We'll just bleep the name. We're not going to cut it. We're not going to cut anything. We'll just bleep just, the name. Just, uh, I've heard the fr- the wonderful phrase "professional charity fund grabbers," and I think that sums that type up really well. And they're a breed. They are very, very, very clever. They have they're brilliant businessmen and women but their their product is i mean really lacking i mean really shoddy but they know how to get the money i've always thought of her as a kind of female cartman from um uh, south park you know uh, Barbara Cartland. no cartman from um south park you must respect my authority anyway uh, anyway whatever so then we go to the colony room uh, which Simon, Colony Room was a one of the, another one of these drinking holes of the 
you know, the great and the bad, you know, the damned and the magnificent, you know. You were, uh, we were laughing when they wouldn't let me in. So you weren't let in? Simon wasn't let in? No, I got to the top of the stairs, I got to the top of the stairs, I tried to pop barge in, <laughs> and it was, yeah, Ian Board, he just said, uh, you have to be proposed and seconded to come in here. And then like, we uh, couldn't get in, he just went, goodbye, children. <laughs> I mean, I was in there, I've been in there about two, three, maybe four times, and it was always rank and horrible. Actually, I think you were with us one time, Richard. It was after um, after a Sadie Coles thing. And uh, what's his name? The actor um, that you wanted to play you in our in our play. Um, Jude, Law. Jude Law was in there with his girlfriend. You know, do you remember that? Yeah, I remember. He was in the corner with his girlfriend looking really shifty. Um, Is that the night no bra was there? Yeah, I think so. Who you know, so um Jude Lord with Sadie Frost. That's right, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um uh, that was a good night actually, but previous other times I've been in there, the atmosphere just stank. I mean it was horrible just a horrible atmosphere in there of like this kind of like thing of like, oh everybody used to be bitchy in the past, so we'll continue being bitchy, but without any of the sort of gravitas you know what i mean just being bitchy for bitchy's sake it was just horrible yeah i think even if i'd gone in there it would have it wouldn't have been what i was looking for it's, it was like a kind of it was like you know it was like a yeah what you said like people trying to keep the old spirit alive but it's, it was kind of dead yeah was it uh, must have been to the sort of tail end of it well i think it was there, it was really i think it, the real kind of heyday was in the sort of 70s I think yeah. by the by the early nineties it was really kind of it kind of everyone had sort of moved on. I think one of you said Tracy Emin was there. I mean the fact that Jude Lord's there. Jude yeah, Lord's well that's what it had. There, it had this is... kind of it had this whole new sort of lease of life because of yeah all the YBA. Yeah, so it had this kind of little last gasp of like popularity. But the YBA's had no right to kind of adopt that kind of bitch. Yeah, no, they just did. It was kind just, of attitude because they're all pampered yeah. pups. Yeah, yeah. It was just because of Francis Bacon, really, because Damien Hirst was, like, obsessed with bacon. And so he just brought all of his mates there. Well, then we go to another pub, the bloody French house. Um, I've got to go because someone's coming round. I didn't really realise it got so long. Who's coming round? Jay. All right. OK, Richie. Well, thank you for... I'll leave you on. All right. I'll jump in if um, well, I'll be in the shower. Yeah, but we want, all we right. want to. All right. Thank you for coming, Richard. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye, Bye Richard. Bye. <laughs> On to the bloody French house. I don't know. Do we want to talk about that? I mean, what's to say, really? Um, again, you know, all the drinkers and all the rest of it. You can. Well, I think it's, you should, it's worth mentioning because it's one of the last of those sort of places that's actually still there yes because we didn't mention that the colony club is no longer the colony yeah, club. yeah the colony rooms is gone yeah. you know half of these places are gone that's the that's one of the only ones which is still there yeah it, yes that's that's worth mentioning um you, you can, can only... um, this guy's left out loads of um 
clubs like Murray's and stuff that was in Soho for absolutely, I mean, years and years and years. They only closed in, well, it closed in the 70s. I know it's a long, very long time ago now. But it was, it was there from uh, about 1919, I think it opened, if not earlier. The brilliant book, I got it um, because someone got hold of all the costumes. It was it was all pretty much naked showcase. It's where Christine Keeler and Mandy Rice Davis met. So again, it's all tied in with Christine Keeler again. Yeah. And it was um, really very sort of risque, na- pretty much naked, pretty much naked hostesses. But Gertrude Lawrence started there. She did cabaret there in about 1919. Um, but again, it changed, it changed venues in Soho. I think in the, in the 30s or 40s, it moved to, it moved once. But it was really big. The book's fantastic. What's it called? Murray's. No, the name of the book. Oh, it's called Murray's. It's called oh. Murray's Cabaret Club. Okay. Um, about the French house, he says, it's always attracted a diverse clientele ranging from local prostitutes, I don't think so much anymore, but I'll, give, I'll, I'll allow it, to one down and out who used to leave after last orders every night to return to a tree he lived in on Hampstead Heath. Limey. Today, he says, the atmosphere is still interesting. And here he's showing his talons again. Although, as with many of Soho's iconic venues, the pub is perhaps trading a little on past glories. Uh, That applies to the whole of Soho, really. Well, this definitely in the last five years. Um, Simon's disappeared. Hopefully, he will come back. Um, Then we went to the Admiral Duncan. We don't really need to talk about that. The bomb... Yeah. Out all the beautiful when it became a gay pub, they, they gutted the amazing interior that was the original. Oh, really? All, all the ship. Yeah, and it was like, um, what's the bottom of a, a ship? The you know, the the hull, the hull. So it was like the, the ceiling was the hull, so it had this sort of slightly cathedral look to it. It was, it was very unique inside, and okay. it survived right up until the 90s, and then it was ripped out. So it was no, it was just a straightforward straight pub up until the nineties, and then they fucking yeah, yeah. And when they turned it into you know, the gay pub, they they closed, closed. It closed down as the you know, I'm sure there are plenty of queens went there as well. Um, they closed it down, re give it, gave it a big reaper because you remember Compton's. I mean, that's the second load of it. What we have now is the the original interior was ripped out in the late 80s i think in competence guy i remember it just and then they made it all industrial looking in the early 90s and then that wasn't popular and they gutted it again and put this pastiche victorian interior in but none of that that you see in compton's is original it's all you know junk well compton's i can say two things about compton's no i'll only say one um that's where I saw Richie Manick from the Manic Street Preachers after he had supposedly committed suicide. And I know it was him because I, I saw him across the uh, across the room and I thought, you look just like Richie Manick. And then I looked at his arm and it was scarred up like he'd cut that, you know, four, not with the, the, the four reel. It was scarred up like that. I didn't say anything. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I just was like, oh, okay. I just pretended I didn't know. 
he knew and I knew, you know, but we didn't say nothing, you know what I mean? But and we've, have we got the energy to push on? Roberto's come back, so can oh. I have another 10 minutes? You want to have a little break? No, no, no. Oh, I you've got 10 minutes. Ten. I'm going to uh, I don't know if we can do... Well, we've got the two eyes. Uh, that's where the... You know, on Compton Street, that's the beginning of... Um, of uh, You know, it was the first rock and roll bar. Um, then My we... mum went, I mentioned to you. Uh, yeah, your mum went, yes. Then we got the, the church behind Richard. Um, Kemp, Kemp House. Kemp House, where... Um, the next most interesting thing is Jon Snow again, uh, who was brought up earlier. Uh, the Jon Snow pub on the corner. Uh, the Jon Snow pub, uh, which is on... Um, well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it, you'll find it, listeners. The John Snow Pub. Uh, John, uh, it's named. It's a pub. It's named after the teetotaler, ironically, Doctor John Snow, who made medical history when he proved the connection between infected water supplies and cholera. London suffered a number of devastating cholera outbreaks between 1831 and 1860, and in 1849 alone, 53,000 Londoners died of the disease. During one such outbreak in 1854, Snow realised the victims had one thing in common, their use of a water pump on Broad Street. He persuaded a sceptical medical establishment, many of who believed cholera was an airborne disease, of his concerns, and the handle of the pump was removed. Almost immediately the epidemic abated, thus proving his case. That's great, isn't it? That's, I like that. That's really wonderful. So one of one of us said, wasn't me. One of you guys said about, oh, I never noticed the pump before. Then you read a bit more that it had only been stuck there recently. Well, it's a replica, yes, but we didn't we didn't want to mention that. Then we went. Then we went to. Um, uh, we followed the map to reach Marshall Street. Then we bore right. On the right hand side was a dismal tower block. And, <laughs> and this tower block stands on the site of the birthplace of the poet and visionary artist William Blake. His parents ran a tight shop on 27 Broad Street. And as a four-year-old, William believed he saw a vision of God's face pressed against his bedroom window. And throughout his life, he... I don't know what the right word to say. I'll say suffered. He suffered from visions throughout his whole life, didn't he? Old Blakey. And... Like, uh, like HP, you didn't know that, he was always having visions, and like HP Lovecraft, had no success during his actual lifetime. Yeah. Oh, well, very, definitely. very limited success. Very limited. Yeah, yeah. This is William Blake. Pardon me. This is William Blake. Yes. Yeah. Blake of um, Tiger. No, Blakey. Tiger Blakey. Blakey. No, Blakey from on the bus on the buses. Oh, I know. <laughs> Uh, Simon busting out a joke there at the end, coming in at the end with a big joke. Um, so that was, yeah, again, the, the author being a you know, dismal tower block. It just proves that he's not done the knowledge in the recent times, you know, because we were there and it's very posh outside, isn't it? Um, then we did Carnaby Street. Now that was good. Carnaby Street um, was set up by 
it started because a guy called an entrepreneur called John Stephen opened a boutique here in 1958, and you, oh, he's gone to get them, or he's. No, I'm here. I just had a lamp on. And you say you have a couple of his suits, original suits by John Stephen. I've got one suit and I've got a really beautiful brown velvet jacket, a very sort of early mod type of one that's, that's still in very wearable condition with a label in as well. And you won't admit whether or not you still fit in them. <laughs> no, I, I admitted that I can't fit in it. I mean, my, my, uh, my, my stomach is just, you know, it's atrocious. So are they worth a bit of money then? No, they, they are? Possibly, and I've got a lot of Katie Stevens shirts, which are really—you uh, can see Westwood pinched her. Uh, the who's, Kate, who's, who's Katie Stevens? K A T Y—that's how she spelled it. That was his um, ex-wife. So uh, she did stuff after he died. She sort of continued with it. She did loads of um, tailoring. So loads, loads of um, people I knew sort of on the mod scene donkeys years ago was go and get stuff made by her. All right, let's speed. Let's 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 let's, let's speed on. Uh, then there was at, this is very interesting. Thank you. Uh, it'd be nice if you could take a photo of them and send me that photo. Then I can put it up at this point in the. Um, you don't have to be wearing them, but I can put this up. Put them up at this point in the uh, pod. So anyway, then Antonio uh, Canaloni, the French, uh, sorry, Italian painter. We've gotten past that. Canaletto. <laughs> Canaloni. Yeah, lasagna. Antonio lasagna. Uh, then we went to Golden Square, where they think that might have been named after the gelding, the, the gelding, gelding, golden of the, the castration of the horses. Uh, then we went to Our Lady of Assumption, the church, which was interesting in the end. I thought it might be a boring diversion, but it was interesting in the end to hear about how crazy the riots were back then. Because there was a the anti-Catholic Gordon riots of 1780, the church was broken into, and they fucking ran in and stole all the gold. And then we went to my favourite bit of all, Great Pulteney Street, uh, John William Polidori. He was uh, Byron's drug dealer, basically. And on the same night that they wrote, um, or they came up with Frankenstein, he came up with The Vampire, which was... You know, somebody asked me, have you read it? And I, have, I said, yes, I have read it. It's not, and I did like it, but it's not about the quality of the writing or the narrative. It's about the idea, the switch, the change that has created this modern myth that will last throughout time. Because previously to that, as I said, vampires were just these hairy, uncouth, shambling beasts. And he turned them into these sort of Byronic figures that we have now. And that myth, there's a modern myth that will, you know, echo throughout time. And um, Polidori, poor old Polidori was, he got the book, he got the story published. And then he was mocked in society, not only by society, but by Byron himself, who I think he was partly under Byron's spell. And all of that, bloody killed himself in the same house, 38 Great Pulteney Street, where he was born by drinking fucking prussic acid. And I think it's very sad. He was only 26, and it must have been a horrible, horrible way to go. With no 26. knowledge. 26. With no knowledge of the massive modern myth that he created, you know, that's going to go on forever and ever for as long as there's an earth, you know, and probably even well, why did that. He must have had some idea how hideous his death would be by drinking this acid. Surely there was a, I mean, what on earth was going on with him to make him do that? It would have been an agony. 
I suspect he was kind of in love with Byron. I don't want to say gay love, but certainly under his spell, you know, like... And then to be rejected, cast aside by not only him and society, to have nobody... I don't know what to say. Very, very sad. I have cried about it. I did. I shed some tears for the poor guy. Punishing himself. By doing that. You know. Oh, it's a bit. I, the next thing is only marks again, where they had the. Let's not dwell. Um, next thing was the Red Lion Pub, where marks once again they were up there trying to work out the Communist Manifest Manifesto, and they had a te bitter ten-day debate about pronouns ensued. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't. But they were talking about who's going to write the Communist Manifesto, and basically, Marx and Engels won. Uh, Prussian spies were there and um, claiming and people claimed that they were trying to assassinate Queen Queen Victoria but that that didn't happen and you know that's that's it really thank you very much guys um, it's thanks for doing this again I really appreciate it it's, you're welcome it's harder you know we got there we got there well I've got I've got a definite new load of knowledge about that particular area so doing that that's like, that's like the third time being over all that <laughs> yes well, as i said on the on the walk you know after doing it twice i never want to do it again but like well, but it's it's up here now forever yeah we do bermondsey next uh bermondsey rotherhive yes i'm trying to arrange it to 